And welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better with me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And I'm a little under the weather. I hope I don't sound bad. Or sound sexy. Oh, do I sound sexy? <laughs> I think so. I'm like Phoebe. You sound like Kathleen Turner. I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so what have, uh, what have you been watching the past week or so? You go first this time. Oh, okay. I want to know what you've been watching. So um, I've watched a couple of things. Uh, the most uh, probably noteworthy thing I watched was, uh, and I had not even heard about it until recently, was uh, it's called Lizzie. Okay. About, the movie, right? Yeah. It was on Redbox. Didn't know it existed. It's about the Lizzie Borden murders. I, I watched it with my friend Melissa. And uh, like I said, I had no idea this movie existed. And also, I apparently didn't know what Lizzie Borden was even about. <laughs> yes, because we mentioned it on one episode. Do you remember that? Do we? I should mention is, Lizzie Borden. You went, is that the one with the bank robbery? Right, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I said the exact same thing to Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard of Lizzie Borden before. I feel like for some reason I associate with that name with uh, Corny Love. <laughs> it just sounds like, I'm sure Corny Love has probably talked about it at some point. Yeah, maybe interview. maybe done a song about it. Yeah, sounds about right. It just sounds like something she would say. Um, but I never really knew what that was about. Um, but now I do. And boy, but that's I, a real fictionalized version, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, I asked Melissa, and she said it seemed pretty accurate. <laughs> but well, did they actually show her murdering them? Yeah. Okay, because. But yeah, well, no, no one knows. But it's, it's based on. Okay, Melissa told me that the most common conjecture of what happened is what they represent. Put it that way. Okay. I mean, there's several different theories. Okay. Um, but we we both understood that no, we don't quite know what happened. Um, but me having known anything that happened, boy, was I surprised. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, they kind of get into it. You were waiting for the bank robbery. <laughs> right. I was like, wow, why is it Victorian England all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was different. It was good. Uh, it's not great, but it's good. I will say that uh, uh, if you don't know, it is about Lizzie Borden, who is a socialite uh, daughter of a rich lawyer, I guess, in the... 1800s that was accused of uh, murdering both her parents, or at not, least not just accused. She was tried and acquitted. Yeah, but so first, does, she was, yeah. Okay, I forgot she was acquitted. You know, you can stay in the Lizzie Borden house. I think we should do that sometime. Okay, well, record an episode. Yeah, oh yeah, it was that. in New England. I, I kept thinking it was in England, but it was in right, New England. Right, right. Um, and uh, she murdered them with an axe. If she did, someone murdered them with an axe. Uh huh. Um, her dad was is played by. Uh, uh, the guy that played Randall Flagg in The Stand. Oh, back Remember? to The Stand. Everything goes back to The <laughs> yeah. Stand. Um, with a heavy, like, Scottish kind of accent. He was very good. And Lizzie Borden herself was played by Chloe Sevigny. Mm-hmm. Who's good in everything, right? Yeah, and she was, you know, of course, wonderful. Uh, and then her friend, the maid, is played by Kirsten Stewart, mm-hmm. who more and more, I think, is just a great actress. She was so good I still it. have not seen her in much else. I need to see her in some other You need other to place. watch Personal Shopper. Right. Was yeah. that with Tilda Swinton? Yeah. And I need, I mean, I wish I just watched that recently so we could, we could do that as a what have you watched. Uh huh. Or you could just, no, Tilda Swinton's not in it. Oh, who is the, it's a Kate Blanchett? Who's the main woman in it? 
It's, uh, oh God, I don't know. It's none of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's no one really particularly famous. It's, oh, okay. Um, I mean, she's supposed to be playing a famous person, but. So the, actually, that could be its own episode because it's actually a horror movie, which I know. Really? I don't, kind, of, kind of. It's a ghost story, at least. Um, but Kirsten Stewart, uh, you know, she kind of got derailed by Twilight. But in a way, she's good in Twilight. So we can do it. But she's fantastic in this. She's a fantastic personal shopper. The movie, uh, it's good. Uh, it's not like, you know, I can see why maybe it wasn't talked about as much as it could have been because it, uh, it's a little bit, you know, it's not very, it doesn't have a whole lot to say, I guess, about what happens in the movie. Okay. No real, you know, it's just kind of a well-acted, fairly well-produced movie that has a few good scenes. Um, although it does have a fairly significant lesbian subplot, right. which I also had no idea was coming. Um, See, I'd never heard that before. I think that's, you know, that's kind of one of the main uh, sort of theories is that, you know, Lizzie was having an affair with her maid, i.e. Kirsten Stewart. And they kind of both together conspired this plan to murder her sort of, not quite abusive, but, well, he was abusive to the maid for sure. Um, but just her, basically her asshole of a dad. Right. Um, so I guess I would recommend it, you know, especially on Redbox. If it comes to Netflix, watch it. Certainly well done. Christina Ritchie also played Lizzie Borden in something. Oh, okay. It was like either a mini series or a TV series or something, but I never saw that either. So what have you been watching? Well, I finished up. Um, I listened to the podcast Dirty John a while ago, which is a really good podcast. And they turned it into a TV show, which isn't that amazing now that they're turning podcasts into TV shows and into different mediums. Isn't that cool? Yeah, because I mean, you also have uh, Homecoming yes. with Julie Roberts, and uh, that's all the examples I know. But. Well, there's also another podcast I like called Lore. They turned that into a TV show on Amazon. Um, but Dirty John is a true story. That's what makes it even more fascinating to me. Like, I loved Homecoming, but that was a fictionalized story that they told on a podcast and made it into a movie, which, I mean, a miniseries, which is great, too. Connie Britton was just amazing. Who's the guy in it? Isn't there a guy? Eric Bana. Okay, yeah, I've heard about that. And on the podcast, you actually hear the main woman talk and tell her story, and you kind of get her personality, and you understand who she is. And Connie Britton really played her perfectly. And the, the daughters, too, were played really well. Based what, on, I mean, I don't even know. What is it about? Like, is it a horror mystery type thing? Or? Yeah. Well, so Dirty John is a guy named John who is a complete asshole. And he starts dating Connie Britton, who in real life, her name is Deborah, And she's a real woman. But John has, like, all these secrets. He's abusive. He's manipulative. And... It's a, you just have to watch. And I still could not believe the ending. You can't believe what actually happens. And it was a true story. Is it like kind of a catfishing type thing or just people that met each other and he's a bad guy or you're not going to tell me. It's okay. Well, I don't want to tell you too I mean, much. is it a spoiler? Okay. All right. I just don't quite get the premise. I mean, so he's abusive or? Yeah. He starts to kind of manipulate her and take over her life and kind of cut her family out. And then you start to find out secrets about him. Well, I would recommend the podcast first. Just because you really get a sense of the characters. And then you know what's going to happen on a TV show, but that, that was okay for me. And all and Eric Bana was great. He was very scary. My mom didn't like that he was scary. She was like, I don't want Eric Bana to be scary. <laughs> well, how many episodes? Is the podcast like several, several episodes or is it? Yeah. I mean, I bet it's like 12 or so. I oh, don't remember. Oh, that's not too bad. Okay. Oh, but wow. yeah, it's just one story and it's told very well. And then the TV show is really good too. It was on Lifetime, I think. Was well, there a way to stream it now, or do you have to just wait for it to come on? I watched it on on demand. Oh, I see. 
And that was difficult, too. It kept making me log in and stuff. So it wasn't easy to watch, but hopefully it'll be on. Since that show you was on Netflix, now maybe that'll be on Netflix, too. Good, good. I'm going to listen to the podcast first, because I do need a good new podcast. Good. Not that we recommend other podcasts, but I mean, that seems like it's doing well already. So yeah. It's doing just fine. Okay, so do we just want to uh, launch right into the movie we're talking about this week? This is a movie I've been very excited to talk about. We, well, first, let's talk about what we're drinking. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor of the movie. Okay, I'm so and excited. And it will lead right? into talking to the movie. Okay. And so I found uh, a beer called Queen's Weiss, which is a Hefeweizen. And so it's an honor of Queen Lee, who is the matriarch of the family, who ends up being the main witch. We'll get into that, I guess. Yeah. In the movie Hereditary. Yay! <laughs> I think we've uh, mentioned this movie a dozen times yeah. you know, over the past you know, nine or ten episodes. Wait, um, wait. Well, the beer is by... You're so excited. I'm good, sorry. Good. It's by a um, brewery here in the... Uh, well, we're in Birmingham right now, but it's a brewer in the Atlanta area called Arches. It says Banana Clove Crisp. It's really good. Okay. Well, you also mentioned that we're in Birmingham, and we should probably know that we're recording like in our eighth location. Yes. In my very small house, which I think is you know impressive. I'm kind of excited about that set, though. It looks very professional. We're in an office. I get. We could just call it the studio. I mean, this is our studio. Yeah, it's a studio. Chris has been like going back and forth on this mural that's in this room <laughs> when he moved in. This is our studio. I think it's mural. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's got lanterns. It's yeah. got a Twin Peaks t- type background. Yeah. We're definitely uh, out of the closet. Crystal Lake, I think that is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely Crystal Lake. They probably knew that when they painted it for the, ba- the baby that used to live here. <laughs> uh, this was a baby room? Yeah. Can you tell? <laughs> I thought it was a lodge. <laughs> oh, goodness. So um, this week, again, we are talking about the movie Hereditary. Which, uh, as far as you know, we go is a very recent movie. Um, uh, probably the most recent movie, other than The Witch, that we've talked about. And I think this is um, in the same kind of vein as The Witch. Don't you well, think? definitely didn't I? Because I told you when I put the DVD in, the first trailer that came up was for The Witch. Yeah. Which I understand they're both A twenty four films. Oh right, right. Yeah, but right. it was still. I mean, obviously, the A twenty four is going for a certain look. Right. Um, uh, they're a good studio, but um. So Hereditary came out after The Witch, and I think we talked about The Witch episode that we felt that Hereditary must have been maybe influenced a little bit by the just short, at least general vibe of The Witch. They're kind of similar way. I mean, yeah. as far as what they talk about, they're obviously totally different, but as far as the way a horror movie is presented these days, they seem to be in the same sort of uh, kind of conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah. They're both very serious. <laughs> Um, they have a sort of a, a similar camera style and similar look to them. Yes. That good, same kind of pacing toward, through the movie. Right. And also the same sort of very surprisingly serious literal attitude towards what is actually happening right. in the movie, which is like, well, it's just straight up Satanism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's... There's obviously some metaphor to it, and you know, you kind of think, you know, this is going to be a psychological thriller that maybe it's all in their heads, that type of right. thing. And then they're like, no, it's kind of just, you know, black mass. <laughs> right. And, you know, they, they, they kind of end in a similar uh, Yeah, very so, much. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know whether um, the director of this movie, whose name is oh, Ari oh, Aster. Ari Aster. This is his first movie, similar to The Witch. I believe I that know. was that guy's first yeah. movie. How to what extent was was he? Were they influenced by each other? You know, do they 
are these movies in conversation with each other maybe, or is it just sort of these are the type of movies young horror directors are making these days? It's cool. Right. Well, I also saw in the the trailers before this movie, they showed the trailer for um, the new movie by the director of It Follows, which is called Under Silver Lake with Andrew Garfield. Oh, I haven't seen that. Well, I guess it just kind of came out and now it's on DVD. I didn't even realize. Oh, the movie is? Yeah. Oh, I, I haven't even heard of it. It looked really good, but I guess it didn't really make much of a splash, but we'll have to watch it. What was it called again? I'm... Under Silver Lake. And it didn't make much of a splash? <laughs> We're done. Oh, goodbye. Okay, so my first thought about this movie before we kind of talk about um, the plot, uh-huh. I'm pretty proud of this. Okay. Is that this is a good uh, house movie. All right? Okay. So let's think about this. This occurred to me watching this last night is that a lot of horror movies, you know, most because they're about a lot of times haunted houses, but houses in horror movies are sort of characters of their own. Right. And so a lot of the best sort of houses you see in movies are in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Or where, where the houses are the characters. Or where they like, like a, whether they're architect, architecturally unique or just sort of have a different vibe. And I think that's kind of interesting. So the house in this movie is very unique. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I, that's kind of one of the first thought, things I thought was like, I want to live there. Although I'd be scared the whole time. Oh, I love it. Um, it has a kind of an ugly look inside it's very green we'll talk about that later mm-hmm. um there's a lot of sort of off-putting colors um i did read it was created at least the inside entirely on a soundstage mm-hmm. which makes sense kind of like hill house you know but it did uh, you know it, it is interesting that you know as far as horror goes there's so many movies that have sort of a, this central character that is the house and this is sort of the latest in that line so think about what other like good like house movies exist that are horror movies and so I think about like The Exorcist, you know, that great sort of like Washington, D.C. house. That's right. kind of like character of its own. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, The Conjuring for sure. Uh, the Shining doesn't really count because of Hotel, but still, you know, Haunted House. Um, do you have any uh, examples? Oh, sure. I'll put you on the spot, but. Sure. Uh, well, obviously Amityville. Yeah. That's a huge one. It has those eye windows type things. Also, um, American Horror Story Murder House, the right. first season. That house has a lot of characteristics that make it its own thing. I mean, maybe Insidious. I can't remember the Insidious house. The Insidious houses, it is more just like a generic house. I think at one point they move, too. And it, it kind of goes with them. So maybe that it's not the same. Oh, right. I mean, uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, Poltergeist, yeah. I just like this idea that, you know, you kind of wonder, like, did the director slash writer just see a house they liked and thought, yeah, this would be a good horror movie. <laughs> I do wonder about that. Like, I think in Insidious, they made it clear that these spirits are haunting the people. So you can't move. They're going to come with you. But in most cases, it seems like the house is what's haunted. Right. Maybe and these it, spirits are trapped in this house for some reason. Yeah. Like haunt, like Hill House. Yeah. And even like this movie where the... I don't think the house is supposed to be haunted necessarily. But it's almost like, you know, it just sort of lends itself to this idea that, you know creating you know, this unsettling vibe like there's a lot of sort of empty space that makes no real sense their dining room or i guess their living room is very large with not much furniture in it mm-hmm. <laughs> at all um just as the fireplace where you know someone may or may not get burned alive um <laughs> upstairs there's a lot of conversations in these sort of very narrow confined hallways with kind of weird sort of it's you know very claustrophobic oh um, i found another one okay the orphanage oh yes yeah <laughs> go on but yes, I also thought about that too when that house looks really big from the outside 
And then when I shoot it inside, it's like um, Peter's room was right next to Charlie's. It seemed like they were right down that same hallway. And then there was the living room. And it's like, well, what is the rest of that space being used for? It looks like a huge house. Yeah, this is kind of fascinating because, you know, uh, you know, like you always read about like The Shining, for instance, like, you know, this may or not be true. There's this whole movie about the 18 conspiracy theories. Oh, I know, Chris. I watched it while I was in labor with my son. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, they always say like Stanley Kubrick made it the design the hotel intentionally like nonsensical, like where hallways go places where hallways shouldn't go okay. or, or like you know like the camera moves around a door and really oh there shouldn't be a door there or something like that okay and you kind of get this sense in this movie too i think this movie is very i mean i think i guess all movies are just now influenced by shining yeah um there's a lot of you know kind of symmetry into the shots and a lot of red that type of thing but uh but i, I do appreciate a good i guess house movie and this is kind of the coolest one i've seen in a while because you can tell they took a lot of time and effort making this house not the outside i think that probably existed <laughs> but you know just you know the, the design of the inside you know they made a movie about the winchester mystery house do you know about that house in california i've heard about it i haven't, I haven't seen it which is a real house that this woman started building and she oh, was yeah, insane yeah. Yeah. and she kept building onto it and you can go and visit it chris and now you can stay in it can we go there too please is it in california yes sure she has like doorways that go nowhere, stairs that go up to nothing. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna. Did you ever see that uh, Parks and Rec episode where Andy and uh, Aubrey Prowlers are yeah. looking for houses? April. They, April, and they just open a door, and, and April goes, uh, "Does that stairwell stairway go nowhere?" And they're like sold. Yes. Yeah, they buy that house. <laughs> right. Uh, and they have like a you know the dumb waiter and yes uh, that's that's good yeah that's totally my vibe. I have my own ideas about what this movie is like about. You know, okay. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. Okay. Um, you know, beyond the, the basic plot, it's not really as interesting, I think, as the plot itself. But I think we kind of get into that by, you know, the first scene is kind of an obituary. Yeah. I mean, it's just an obituary, yeah. a, a kind of generic written obituary. Right. Which I thought was very interesting. I didn't know people, I mean, I guess older people still do that, right? And put it into the paper. I think most people do because. <laughs> I don't. I don't know many people who have died. I've been very lucky. I have to look up a lot of dead people online for my work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my job is morbid as if. So. I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says morbid AF. Yeah. yeah so I, That's uh, going to be our first t-shirt. Yeah. My soul is dead by 930 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, morbid yeah. AF. Sometimes that is better. Right. There we go. There's our t-shirt. <laughs> we got it. Um so yeah, so we open this obituary, and in the obituary, we learn that there's been this matriarch that's died. She's older, uh, hence the death. <laughs> She's 78. So yes, yeah, so we learn there's a mother that's died, uh, and then there's the survivor named Annie, uh, and then she has an extended family, and that's kind of all we know. Right. And then we open up on a tree house, so a house, <laughs> you know, this uh, pretty deluxe tree house in the middle of the woods. Right. The camera kind of pivots to a quote real house you know the, the real house that the movie takes place in uh and so we move in on that for a while it's very pretty kind of a very stately slow shot and then once we get into the real house we cut to another fake house <laughs> that's true so there's a tree house yeah, which is fake. There's a real house yeah and then there's the fake miniature right. houses so you know what is that about i don't know but of course there's a, i think the kind of famous shot of once we get to the diorama slash fake house that we learned the mother's created, 
suddenly there's a sort of disorienting shot of, oh, the characters are inside the fake house. Right. Um, which at first really confused me. I think that's just sort of a, not really meant to mean anything like supernatural other than a... Showing that she's building what, I mean, she's building her own house. Right. Um, just She's bit, building up from her real life. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I'll, I love making miniatures. You know, have, you, have I ever showed you my miniatures? No. Oh. Are they like that? I make like uh, I got really into it for a little bit. And I've then I... never seen these. I've known you for twenty years. <laughs> well, is I... this next to your Mary Poppins like <laughs> movie collection that you never talked about? <laughs> so I have this one little miniature thing that I made. It's a one room. I made the floors and everything and stained them, and it's this one little miniature room of like um, a laboratory, and I made like um, I made a. <laughs> I made a miniature microscope and like a little skull and like so what I, are you talking about what <laughs> where is this it's in my room <laughs> i've been in your room is it that small <laughs> no it's just like on my desk oh my god and then um so then i also made like like a little um gangrene hand and i put it into a jar <laughs> And I, I've been, and I was working on that a lot for a little while, and then I got, like, I didn't have the tools. I don't have the tools I need, so I kind of got moved away from it. But I love making miniatures. That's something I want to keep doing. When did you start? When did you do this? Cause I, I mean, it's only been a couple years okay. that I got into, because I, I do my embroidery, and that's my main thing. But I really love, I'm trying to work in the miniatures into my embroidery, so I had this really good idea for... I've been trying to do it for a couple years. I haven't quite got it right, but it's like, it's a little basket on a pulley and I'm going to make a Silence of the Lambs one <laughs> and, and an It one and I've been working on it but I still just can't quite get it right but anyway so I do want to make miniatures I love miniatures I've never heard you. that's amazing well I think that's awesome okay so, well anyway so when I saw this I was like oh cool yeah just like me um, <laughs> so my thought of this I guess was at first like okay that's kind of confusing are we supposed to take some like some supernatural idea from that. I think the idea is just that we're supposed to kind of get the sense that this idea that they're being controlled somehow, like uh, right. other forces at work sort of manipulating them. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of all that's about. And it's just sort of a directorial trick. But it's a cool one. Uh, it, it definitely kind of throws you off a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I like that we start in the treehouse, which is obviously where the movie ends, too. It's kind of funny that it starts this very bright, you know, green shot, you know, very sunny and. Uh, but it still is fairly creepy. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, you know, the, I guess the first scene inside the fake <laughs> diorama is uh, Gabriel Byrne, who's all up in this, waking <laughs> up his son. I kind of feel bad for him because he's, he's very good in the movie, but, you know, he doesn't have a big performance to do. No, he doesn't. Where, I mean, I guess that's maybe the point. And he's very milquetoast and just, like, there and... Yeah, he's kind of... But I think, you, I think you would mention, like... Why they could have anybody in that role? Yeah, and I feel bad for saying that because I do like him, but he's he's very good in those type of roles. I mean, you know. he does slip in and out, out of his accent though. Did you notice that? Yeah, I do have a scene that I think is very good in where I kind of get why they got that type. Um, but I kind of think... when he burns alive, <laughs> right? Yeah, he <laughs> burns alive. <laughs> oh Jesus! So many puns in this episode. <laughs> right. um, part of me thinks that it's the first time a director just getting the best actors he wants, and then you know. Now, maybe I have Gabriel Byrne. I don't really know what to do with him. That, that sounds mean saying it. I'm glad he's in it. Well, so one of my favorite books when I was a kid was called The Dollhouse Murders. Have you ever heard of that book? Um, I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. So. I mean, it's like a girl who has a dollhouse, and the dolls are acting out a murder to try to tell her about what happened. That happened, like, in real life? Yes. Yeah. 
Is this a kid's book? Yeah. I haven't let Elise read it yet because she can't handle anything, but, but it was great. But anyway, so I was thinking about that too. It's just like, are these things going to be moving around? What's going to be happening with these miniatures? Yeah, yeah, it just seems to be an expression of their complete broken psyche. So that's kind of fun. This movie's filmed in Utah. I looked at that up because it's a beautiful setting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I remember seeing the mountains during one of the funeral scenes and thinking, okay, we're, I guess we're in the Rocky Mountains, but not really knowing. So um, beyond the opening sort of house sequence, we actually open with a funeral, the funeral of the mother. Mm-hmm. And so we get a sense that, you know, uh, through uh, Tony Collette, who plays Annie, the main character slash uh, the dead woman's daughter. Right. Um, that they've had, you know, some sort of family uh, dysfunction, some history. Yes. She doesn't seem happy with her mother. Uh, the funeral itself is fairly tense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're introduced to Tony Collette, who gives uh, every line reading she has in the movie is amazing. We'll talk about it later. Right. Well, she, she says outright in the eulogy that she's been very secretive. She doesn't know much about her. Yeah, so they were estranged for for several years, you know, especially when Tony Collette had her children. Amy. Right. Uh, so in the same scene, we're introduced to her two children, uh, her her older son, whose name is... Uh, is that, Peter. Uh, Peter, right, who's sort of a you know, dark, brooding sort. And then uh, her daughter, whose name is... Charlie. Charlie. Did you watch this movie? Yes, I just can't remember names, but I know Peter and Charlie. But yeah, so Alex Wolf is the actor who plays Peter. Right. And I looked him up, and he actually played Gabriel Byrne's son in the TV show In Treatment. Oh, cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So he already played his son. He's also in the movie Thoroughbreds with Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh. And also, he is writing and directing his own movie soon. Peter is an interesting character. I like him. He yeah, does a really... He's good, good. He's good. Um, I think more importantly, early on, we're introduced to Charlie. Yes. You know, she's uh, in, in kind of a eccentric, younger character. So her, the actor's name is Molly Shapiro. And so she was 15 when they filmed this movie. But at age 10, she played Matilda on Broadway, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, she does a, you know, a great job in this movie. The character itself, you know, she seems to be... On the spectrum, it's, it's you know it's unclear you know how much. Um, very introverted. Very introverted, shy, you know, kind of quirky. Uh, uh, she wears you know very super baggy clothes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a lot of friends. But in this scene, um, you know, you're, you kind of recluded in. There's you know something kind of going on with her. She approaches uh, the mom's body, and she kind of looks up and sees a very very creepy guy. Oh my gosh! Uh, smiling yes. at her. It is so creepy. It yeah. is. Yeah, and it's creepier because you can't really see his whole face. Mm-hmm. She sees another character um, touch mom's lips. Right, right. Yeah, and so she's sort of observing all this, and no one else seems to be really noticing it. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about her character, too, is that she's kind of watching everything. She's observing everything. Right, so you know, from this kind of kind of point, you kind of think, okay, well, so she's like the kid character that all this sort of happens to, like you know, Danny in The Shining or something, or any other number of you know, kid characters in horror movies. Which, you know, boy, is that not the case. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we do get this picture of this family that's uh, somewhat, you know, fractured, you know, a little bit. You know, they don't, they have issues. <laughs> right. Uh, nothing terribly dramatic that's at first. But, you know, the mom and dad, uh, Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne, have sort of a tense relationship, it seems. The well, son- yeah, I think one of the first scenes after the funeral, she says she's going to a movie. 
And she goes to a grief counseling yeah, And that's the herself. first scene where I thought I love her because I thought she was actually going to be by herself. Well, and that's what another thing about that Gabriel Byrne, like he didn't even ask what movie she was going to. Yeah. He, the idea seems to be like, maybe she says this a lot and he just kind of stops asking questions. I know. I just felt like that showed like kind of a sad point in their relationship. Like he didn't even care what movie she's going yeah. to anymore. I'd they don't want to talk like about it. It's like he doesn't believe her. Like, I don't know where you're going. Or yeah, yeah. just, yeah. you know, whatever. It's not. Either way, it's kind of sad. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, but as all said, if she was going to movie by herself, because I know people do that. I do. I know, but I, I saw this movie by myself. <laughs> I did. Well, that's that's wonderful. But see, I, I and I do go to movies by myself. But I get so much anxiety when I do it. Basically, I can really? never, I can never be as strong as apparently you or Tony Collette because I just can't. She doesn't even go to the movies though. But I bet if she did, she'd be fine. Oh. Or me, I'm just like, you know, behind my popcorn having any fucking anxieties. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, so I started going to the movies by myself when I was really pregnant with Adam. And it was a weird time when Elise was in pre-K and I was like seven, eight months pregnant. So I couldn't do much. Um, and so I started going to movies and I actually like had to Google like, can horror movies cause preacher labor because i went to go see the conjuring i went to go see your next oh my gosh it was yeah. a great time yeah. but i also but don't you like feel all the eyes on you like... there's nobody there i would go at like 10 a.m oh so you're actually in a theater by yourself yeah oh well, that's different what are you talking about well when i go to the movies i'm just by myself but there's like people like not not with a friend oh though. oh well i've gone to movies by myself with other people and you know what i've noticed there's a lot of other people by themselves too yeah and i think god those losers <laughs> I, just, I love I, it. I just get it. It just makes me anxious. I don't know why. I just, you know, feel like, you know, everyone's staring at me somehow. Anyway, what are we talking about? Hereditary. Okay. So we're talking about the family. So we have the first uh, kind of major um, sequence, I think, where um, Tony Collette says she's going to movies, but really she's going to, um, what is it, like a grief counseling right. group? Which also made me think of the invitation. It's like you see these people and they're so sad and they're looking for anything. The Ann Dowd character, she looks to her and anything that will help her, she'll do. So she does, we'll get into that later, but. I didn't really thought about that. That's interesting. I don't, do they, I don't know if they show Ann Dowd in that first scene. I was kind of looking for her, but I'll, I'll have to watch it again. But so we have this, this uh, you know, set piece at the um, grieving session. And uh, so we have this whole scene where um, Tony Collette gives her monologue about their family history. And then oh, right. uh, <laughs> she so, just drops all that right yeah. on them, doesn't she? And then someone just walks in and gives her an Oscar. <laughs> because, I mean, <laughs> Tony Collette is so good in this movie. Are we going to talk about that now? We just let's talk about it now. It's yeah. just fucking ridiculous, Chris. Yeah. Why wasn't she nominated for an Oscar for this movie? It makes no sense. I mean, she's incredible. And um, also, if you're telling me that Hereditary is not one of the best movies of the year, it should have at least been nominated. There's all kind. If of, if they don't want to give it to a horror movie, fine, I get that. I mean, although I'd wager it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, Green Book. Yeah, I mean, I like Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's not a great movie. It's a very he's great in it. That right. actor is. I think we talked about this already. It's fucking ridiculous, Chris. Yeah. Um, you but, watch that movie and you tell me there's not another movie in that best picture category that it is not better in in visuals, yeah. in tone, in acting, in story. But those are things that should have got, uh, got nominations for things like that. Best cinematography, best sound. I don't know. There's all kinds of best things. Best miniatures. Can, right. Best miniatures. Yeah. <laughs> best Tony Collette. I mean, I know. I mean, she is. Uh, it, does, it does bug me that she didn't get anything for this uh, because it's one of the best performances i've seen in a long time now she's so natural i know you feel like you i almost wonder if her performance is so like invisible they don't even notice it well, like i guess i guess we'll talk about it 
in the particular scenes because in each particular scene she reacts so perfectly right um there's nothing i mean she does have some showy moments but she does act a lot of times like you know just an agitated mother just in certain scenes that i'm just like well that's how i would act anyway right. we'll get we'll get to it though yeah so anyway in this scene she just absolutely erupts as far as you know uh her mother goes so we learn a few things we learn that her mother uh, and her were estranged for a few years, mm-hmm. particularly when her son was born, which was kind of interesting. Right. Uh, when her younger daughter was born, Charlie, she, for whatever reason, allowed her mother back into her life and let her latch onto her, which seems important later for the plot. We learned that uh, there's just little tidbit that her fucking brother committed suicide. So did her dad <laughs> by her dad, starving himself? Yeah. And specifically, a brother said that her mom was putting people in him, or what was right. the, what's the phrase? Putting persons in him, something weird like that. Yes. Um, so you know, kind of okay. Well, that may be important later. Yes. Um, but the way Tony Collette delivers it, uh, it just it's so incredible. You know, it's because it's slightly comical. Um, it's almost like she recognizes, like, I'm having this breakdown and how embarrassing is this, but I might as well just go for it. <laughs> yeah, just go um, ahead and say it all. Um, but And it's also a real uh, efficient way of kind of delivering all this information that's not sort of over-explaining uh, the plot. Right. Uh, you just kind of, kind of go with it. And then at the same time, you're like, you know, I love these type of movies, kind of like The Invitation, where there's like about a good hour or 45 minutes where you don't really know what kind of movie you're watching. Right. <laughs> like, is this necessarily going to be a horror movie? Is this just like in a, is this all going to be a psychological ploy or is there anything supernatural necessarily at all? There's a while where you don't really know any of that. You know, I mean, I guess there are, there are more signs in this, I think just because at first you see the guy smiling and then right. one of the next scenes that we can talk about is when Peter is smoking pot and he blows it out of his window, and they have that really cool scene from the outside of the house, and you see someone's breath. Do you notice that? I don't think I noticed that. Oh, so there's, there's a few th- things though. The second time that I, I mean, I've seen this twice. Spoiler, uh, but I did notice things on rewatch that I certainly didn't notice the first time. So uh, again, talking about the house and some of the stylistic things in this movie, there's a lot of green in this movie. Okay? Yes, lots of green. So. The grief counselor scene, the whole room is green. The house, all the wallpaper is green. Yes. The high school, all the wallpaper, all, all the wallpaper is green. Uh, Tony Collette always wears green. I mean, the trees are a backdrop of green. Yeah, when but it's a different, different type of green. And, and and so I guess the green I'm talking about is a very sort of sickly lime green. Very oh, okay, okay. Kind of upsetting kind of green. Pew okay. Pee. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, it's... Once you notice that you can't stop seeing it, it's kind of like, you know, the, like the sixth sense, like where there's red, 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 like uh, for every time there's a ghost or something. Okay. You cannot not see it. So I first noticed it just in the house because uh, I don't know why I was upsetting, um, but it's like <laughs> everywhere. And then when the grief counseling scene, it was so overwhelming. And then, I mean, it just keeps going. So it was kind of a fun experiment to see all the green in the movie. Okay. And then contrast it with certain other things. Uh, so we'll talk about that later. Okay. Like the no- red? Yeah, well, okay, spoiler. Sorry. But yeah, okay, well, yeah, we'll just go for it. There's another primary color of the movie, which is red. And red is represented by all these sort of outside characters. So, uh, Anne Dowd's character is always wearing red. Okay. Uh, pretty much anyone that seems to be trying to draw Tony Collette in somehow or corrupt her, or they're always, there's, that's represented by the red for some reason. Hmm. So, we'll kind of get to that later. Okay. Well, then they show Charlie. Charlie wears red. Isn't it orange, though? Uh, okay, reddish orange. 
Okay. Well, they show Charlie um, at her workstation, I guess. Like, she seems to be doing all these crafts, and she's always putting, building little things. I'm not sure what that represents. Well, she's working on something. That's kind of the idea. She's, you know, always working to perfect something she's been working on, which, for whatever reason, involves, you know, tearing the head off (laughs) a living creature. But But that workstation looked just about like my workstation. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like I have a glue gun, ribbon, just shit all over my desk and within that so that scene also is like when we first see the light they start she follows the light right yeah my cats freak out like you know like if, if she's they see a reflection of of anything on the wall i'm gonna i'm gonna put a audio of what they do in here because it's freaky and so now i'm worried that do represent ghosts well yeah they may be i think that's also where we get the first uh clucking sound yeah can you do it the clucking sound oh yeah yeah yeah. Is that it? Well, yeah, she, does, think... she does it at the funeral. Oh, she does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I figured I was missing it. But uh, the first time I noticed it was in the scene where she's, you know, fixing her doll. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they do it at the funeral because Gabriel Byrne has to kind of like quiet her. She's drawing, you know. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, she sees the light. She follows it outside and she follows footprints. Yeah. So she sees like her grandmother sitting in a field with right. fire on it. But again, you're just like, well, okay, is this, is she seeing this in right, her mind? Yeah. You don't know. Tony yeah. Collette doesn't see it because she runs out there and gets her. I think her. so, yeah. Um, and you also, there's a scene uh, before after that where she's at school. Uh, there's a, a bird that flies in the window and dies. She goes outside and cuts the bird's head off with scissors, right. as, as you do. Well, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, there's a lot of TV shows and movies where a bird flies into the window. Yeah, it happens in the office twice a day and it's really? always terrifying. A, because I kind of want the birds to be okay, but I can usually I see them bounce back in the tree. I'm right. happy. But it's also terrifying because like it's yeah, very loud. It's very we, loud. And, it's, and my, we have a, you know, a humble brag, uh, Florida ceiling windows. And, uh-huh. just, and so it, it can happen anywhere. And it just, it just terrifies me. Uh, so anyway, but she does go out. She uh, cuts the bird's head off. I don't do that. I just, you know. Well, yeah, that, that's, so that's why I was saying. So that's a kind of a trope in a lot of, I mean, it was on Lost, but... Uh-huh. No one ever goes outside and then cuts the head off with scissors and keeps right. it. Yeah, so she falls through, yeah. Yeah, so that's what was so interesting about it. But when it. she does that, she sees the strange woman across the way. But it's definitely creepy. So, uh, again, this whole time, I mean, I think the expectation is that this kid is going to be the central character in the movie. Kind of like, you know, Chantley and Psycho or something like. And there's kind of this misdirect. Right, right. Uh, why do you think uh, she's... I mean, maybe we'll talk about this at the end, but do you have an idea about why she's cutting these heads off the creatures and why she's so obsessed with that? Or um, She knew that her head was going to be removed. Yeah. And they needed to remove it for this certain sacrifice or whatever they're having to yeah, do, the, the, I, the ceremony. My thought is like she's being somehow told that that's what she needs to do. She needs, she needs her head to come off. <laughs> Listen, Charlie, yeah. we know you got a lot going on at school, but if you could please just get that head off for yeah. us. My thinking is that like the spirit, whatever it is, that's how it is released somehow and moves from body to body maybe. is. Well, maybe, but... Um, Your head has to come off. I guess. Well, we'll kind of talk about the end, okay. but I think, I think the point is, for whatever reason... She's being either told or hinted at that her head's coming off at some point. Right. <laughs> uh, because I think the idea is at this point, if she's not possessed, she's somehow at least uh, harboring this creature, god thing, whatever it is, you know. 
Well, yeah, I mean, they're definitely t- trying to tell her. You're right. Because there also is a picture she draws of the pigeon's head with a crown on it. Yeah. And did you notice when she's going to school, they, they pass the pole. And on the pole, there's that sign, uh, that sort of sign they keep what? showing. Yes. Let's see, that's the same thing I saw the second time I saw it. It's the same pole she, her head, uh, you know. Right. So much earlier in the movie, or maybe like 10 minutes earlier, they pass it in the daytime. Going to school, and, they, and you see that strange sign on the pole. What? You mean that symbol? Yeah, the symbol. The symbol. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's all pre-planned somehow, yes. or somehow suggested. I mean, this all comes out the end, but, you know, they've kind of figured out that this experiment with the girl is not working. You know, she's not harboring the creature correctly or something. Right. Because it wants to be a man. And so she's being told or to release it somehow, and that's how she has to do it, I think. That's my take on it. I don't know if that's true at all. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, but either way, it, it does get into this idea that it's all, I mean, there's there are people directing this, uh, yes. not just her. So we've, we've been building up to kind of what happens next, the big surprise of the movie, at least to me, up to a point. Right. So let's talk about, I guess we'll talk about the party scene. So what 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 is this, what, how does this party scene come about? Because well, so first we have to talk about the Tony Collette scene, telling him to take his sister to the party, because I think that's a great scene. Yes. So Peter wants to go to a party. Peter just seems to just, he wants to just kind of be like a normal kid. He wants to smoke pot. He wants to look at girls' butts. He loves looking at girls' butts. <laughs> he likes this one particular girl. He wants yeah. to go to a party. Um, so he asked to go. He asked it so, like, I, this actor is so good. Because later he does say, like, he's scared of her. And he plays that very well. He asked her very timidly, can I go to this school thing? It's no big deal. She's like, are you going to miss dinner? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. No, 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 no. I'm going to stay for dinner. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And um, so she tells, ends up talking him in, him into taking Charlie too. Yeah. I think my favorite line reading the movie, for some reason though, is like, uh, you know, did you, uh, do you want to take Charlie? And, and he's like, well, does she want to go? And she says, did you ask her? <laughs> the way she says that, it's, uh, it's like there's sarcasm, there's meanness, there's like practicality. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, be an adult for once. Uh, it's just it's such a mother sort of type thing that can happen. Yes. Which you, I don't know, you just don't see in a... I don't know. I can't explain why I love that, but I just love it. It's, it's another reason why Tony Collette deserves all the Oscars in the world. Yes. Forever and possibly retroactively. <laughs> and so Charlie, they say later, is 13. And Peter, I'm guessing, is 16, 17, I guess. So I guess yeah. that's not completely unheard of that he would take her it's a little weird but I mean, is, she seems a little young yeah but I, I get it because you know again she seems you know on the spectrum maybe a little special that maybe take her out right and have her be social right and he tries but so so we learn at the beginning apparently she has a nut allergy yeah at the funeral yeah, yeah. and but she you has knew a, that was coming up again she has some sort of addiction to chocolate which i can I feel that hard. Well, I think he says there's like, I think there's cheesecake in the next room. Well, yeah, there's like chocolate cake. Oh, chocolate cake. Okay. Which, I mean, again, I'm not going to nitpick this movie because it's, cause it's so wonderful. But would teenage girls really be chopping right. up like 10 pounds been, of yeah. walnuts? Have you ever been to a party like that? No. <laughs> Neither have I. And that, what was that house? That was fancy. Know, it was yeah. like an OC house. I'm all, I know these. I know this happens, and I'm like adding myself as the biggest nerd ever. But I've just never been to a house as a teenager or a party teenager in this big empty house where there's like a hundred people and they're all just boozing up. I know that happens. It just, I've just never experienced it. I guess I went to some. I mean, I mean, like, but it maybe, wasn't hundreds. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I guess at graduation we went to a few parties and stuff, but I just, I just like, I just think about how do they even organize this? Like, I just don't know how. It I happens. don't understand how the cops don't get called. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in college and, and things like that, but it just, it's not that many people, and you know, even then, it's like France, I guess. I just don't <laughs> understand how that happens. And, uh, or why they would have two pounds of walnuts. Right. And then the whole time I also feel like vaguely left out from the movie. <laughs> you know? uh, anyway, I was just wondering if that was like a real thing. But it sounds like maybe we just weren't invited to the same parties. I think so. <laughs> Let us know, listeners, if, we're just, if we were just losers. <laughs> like all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so she has this chocolate cake that has the nuts in it. And she starts having an allergic reaction. I did not remember what happened. You're kidding. No. What do you mean, like... Well, I was, when the second time I watched it. <laughs> I am not kidding. I that thought... just slipped your mind. <laughs> I thought that they got to the hospital and she was fine. <laughs> what? I don't know why. I think I just cut it out of my mind. Like, I did not... And, and then as soon as, like, I, mean, I actually... As of 8 o'clock this morning, <laughs> <laughs> you thought she lived the whole movie and was possibly fine and what... I think that also is a testament to this little actress and the fact that she did such a good job that I kind of feel her through the rest of the movie. Like I wasn't thinking about her death because she keeps like she kind of stays alive the rest of the movie. You know, Tony Collette is trying to contact her and but like I was watching it and again, I maybe that was it too. I started watching it at eight in the morning. And, um, Your coffee hadn't really kicked in. And then, like, he was driving to the hospital. And for some reason, I was thinking in the back of my mind, oh, they get there, and he gets up, and the mom gets mad, but she's okay. And I almost, like, I stood up. I was like, oh, my gosh, I remember. And I was like, no, 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 no. I wanted it to stop. I think that's why, because I, like, I kind of cut it out. But That's hilarious. I, I, there were things about the movie I forgot, and that was not one of them. I will say that. Okay. He may block me out. So then, of course, we know what happens. She's having a panic attack. She's... Trying to open the window. Let's also keep in mind he is high, right? Possibly drunk and driving, right? So that's kind of scary to me, like this, because he's going to be guilty about that the rest of his life, you know? Yes. But he was also going like 100 miles an hour. Right. But he was trying to get to the hospital. Right. But he was smoking pot, and he should have been watching her. And her head came off. <laughs> right. And he left the body in the car. Yeah, yeah. And then went to bed. Yes. So why was there not? Why was he not arrested? I don't know. I mean, you got to wonder what they would necessarily charge him with because... Not taking her to the hospital, even though she had no... Because her head was off. <laughs> <laughs> See what we can do about this. Okay, so there's two true stories. Okay. One of them I may not tell you because it's the most disturbing thing I've ever heard in my life. But the first is this, one... Is this our true crime section? Or? Well, we're at, well, this is like a little mini true crime okay. section. So there's one, which I'm sure you've heard of. There was a woman who was driving high drunk and she hit a man and his head came through the windshield and she just drove home with him in the windshield, parked her car in the garage and went to bed. He was still alive. Oh my God. But he died and she was charged with manslaughter. And there's another one that I don't even think I can tell you. It's it's too disturbing and it sticks in my head all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. It's up to you. Well, I mean, yeah, let's talk about it. Chris. Okay, first I'm going to give a warning. They're already they're already in. <laughs> this is true. Okay. Okay, so there's this is a warning. If you don't want to hear something about a little kid 
and a head coming off, then you need to skip forward, right? <laughs> right. So this is a, a car wreck that happened, and I happened to read the the news article about it, and, and it sticks in my head <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I was listening on my scanner radio. Well, so there was a family driving. You want me to tell you this or not? Yeah. There was a family driving in a limo from a wedding. So there was like two young kids and then like maybe like four or five adults. They got in a huge wreck. The little girl was kind of laying down with a, a seatbelt across her chest. But when they got in the car wreck, it decapitated her. When the policeman got to the crime scene, he found the mom on the side of the road holding her daughter's head. Oh, gosh. Crying. And the little girl's head was still, the little girl's body was still sitting in the back seat. Oh, my God. Sorry. But I think about that every time I buckle my kids in and I make sure that I buckle them in correctly. You think about that specifically? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so the next scene we cut to is the kid, he's in bed, right? And uh, we wake up the next morning. Uh, we have this sort of scene, uh, or at least we hear Tony Collette go outside and presumably find, we don't see, but her. She screams. Yeah, we, we hear uh, her find, I guess, her daughter's decapitated body. And then we cut to another shot of, the, of, the, of Charlie's head just lying in the middle of the fucking street <laughs> with ants all over it. Oh, my God. Which yes. is, you know, another uh, powerful moment. Well, and then Annie's response when they show her, I mean, it looks like she's giving birth again. She's screaming. She's rocking. She's in so much pain. And that was just very real to me, too. That's all I could imagine how I would be. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you definitely feel like that's like... Certainly a breaking point for her. I mean, so also we like to, you know, bring you another movie about, you know, dead children. So, so yeah, so after this point, you know, if, if Tony Collette and the son weren't sort of at odds before, now they kind of are. So you have that great scene at the dinner table, right. which is sort of the centerpiece of the movie in a way, where uh, Peter, is that his name? Yes. Just kind of lays out like, you know, look, do you have something to say to me? And uh, and she does. <laughs> Well, and it's still like it's still not too much. Like I, I could see in that same situation if I was in her shoes, I could see yelling that at my son and then feeling like shit about it. Yeah. But the way she says it, it's not anything that's too mean, but it's definitely you feel her pain. Yeah, it's definitely nothing you want to hear though. I mean, no. like to the extent he's feeling guilty and he surely is. She does nothing to like alleviate that at all. She no. basically says you should feel guilty. This is you know, she doesn't quite say it's your fault, but she definitely says the words like accountable like 10 times. Yes. <laughs> um, and and again, I don't think that that's right, but I could see in that situation feeling that same way. There was, there's that great scene when uh, she's sitting in her car, Peter comes home from riding his bike, yeah. and he is like clenching his, sh- his fists. He doesn't want to go in, and she waits for him to go in, and she leaves. Like, that, she can't be near him, which I understand that. And so. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't make it right, but I thought that was still, that's still, right now we're still on the realm of believable to me. Yeah, and you also get the impression that maybe this is a type of relationship she had with her own mom, like sort of the things she's yelling at Peter about, or maybe things she's been yelled at before. Right. Because just, you know, the movie is called Hereditary. Yes. Uh, I've had, I've been thinking about it. And so I think that's kind of one of the ideas, like this idea, like, you know, the sort of abuse we do to each other. And within the families, kind of gets we kind of 
pass it forward, pay it oh, forward yes, a yes. little bit, uh, whether we want to or not. And so all the baggage she has from her other mom, she's just spewing that out onto her own son. Although legitimately, she just just, just lose her daughter. Yes. But and, yes. there seems to be a lot more to it also. And she seems to be almost using that as a vehicle or a convenient moment to sort of just unleash all this sort of venom that she already has, you know, mm-hmm. already. Um, well, yeah, and that, that's what I like about the movie, too. It's like it never starts out. It never tries to play you as in like it starts out with like this happy family and all these good times they had. I mean, it, it doesn't do that. It doesn't try to manipulate you at all. No, it's, it's like, a very believable family. I mean, yeah. Um, and also, this is the one scene that I think Gabriel Byrne is so effective in because he is so conflicted, you know. And there's that one scene, and Tony Collette, I mean, I hate to say this because it sounds mean, but she's, she makes herself look so ugly when she's yelling at him. Like, she can torture her face. And yeah, she does. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. And it's like, I know that's a conscious choice. It was okay for me to say that. Because I don't mean, like, obviously Tony Collette's a beautiful, beautiful human being. Yes. Um, but she... I guarantee you she wanted the lighting yeah. to make her look... A little harsher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain point where the kid says something, I forget what, and her face like crunches up and just yes. in such anger. And she just looks so, uh, just, there's no other word for it. Just so ugly. It's just so petty and mean. And, and, and then they cut to, I believe, Gabriel Byrne. And he has a similar expression on his face. Just like, God damn it. I hate my fucking, I hate being, you know, like everything that he feels is kind of, and you kind of get, oh, okay, that's why they hired him because he can kind of do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think that's kind of like the sort of emotional sort of center of the movie. And then everything after that kind of pivots just straight into the sort of kind of balls the wall supernatural of it all. Right. Because, yeah, at yeah. this point, the only supernatural stuff they've had is, I mean, I think Tony Collette thinks she sees her mom yeah, in the corner. Yeah, which is super creepy. It is. But I get that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I know people report that. Yeah, like that after happens they... in my own house, though. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you the other night I like I was in bed. Chris, what? Well, I, I it was you know so I wake up a lot in the middle of the night and I look up and uh, I've never seen the Slenderman movie, or I'm not even really aware of what that is. I'm aware of it's like this thing, right? And, but I looked up and I, my ceiling fan. I thought it was a Slenderman. What? Yes, I thought it was like standing over me, and I screeched. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then uh, but I, I was fine. But that, that's what it reminded me of right. you know, her with the, the mother. Well, yes. Uh, and then um, I think Peter thinks he hears the click when he's trying to sleep. Yeah. He sits up and he thinks he sees her in the corner, but just a, it looks like a blanket. So, again, so far, everything seems like it could be explained. Yeah. And so, yeah, but also at this point, all of the weird things that kind of were happening to uh, Charlie are now happening to, to Peter. Yeah, he's sort of now the kind of kid in the movie that all this weird stuff is happening to. He's the Danny Torrance now. Yes. But then, and also before this, we do meet um, Ann Dowd. Right. So, yeah. So, Tony Collette has gone back to grieving, or she's at least thinking about it. Right. <laughs> she's driving around it. And so she meets Ann Dowd, who sort of pops up in a car and, you know, tells her what? Uh, tells her that she lost her son and her seven year old grandson. To a drowning accident. Right. I have another. Like, I just read, like, all the ter- terrible true crime things that happen. <laughs> so there was one. Do you just read the obituaries? Because <laughs> no, they don't give you enough information. Um, there was one where, like, a grandson and his granddad were swimming in the swimming pool. The grandson jumped and knocked the granddad. They both knocked each other out. 
and they both drowned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, klutzes. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just the worst. But so that's what I thought of when she talked about that. Her son and her grandson both died. She's telling her this story and yeah. trying to get her. I guess, I mean, looking back, you don't necessarily know if that's true. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. I probably not. But, yeah. but Anne Dowd is great. I did love you ever, her. Did you ever watch uh, The Leftovers? I want. I still want to watch it. Okay, yeah. So, so that was one that I wanted to watch. I was so ready. It was... Um, who started the show? It was um, Damien Lindoff, right? Damien Lindoff? Mm-hmm. And I was so ready to watch it. And Brian was like, no, wait for me. And then now it's been like, what, five years yeah. later? I don't know if Brian could take it. If he, if he doesn't like upsetting things, it's, it's pretty upsetting. No, he doesn't want to watch it now. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay. Well, so I'll watch it when we get HBO Go Back and not yeah. in for Game of Thrones. She, well, anyway, she's she's really good in that show, and this is a uh, uh, so that's kind of the only way I really know her. I'm sure she's been in a ton of things. But. Well, I know her as Aunt Lydia from Handmaid's Tale. Oh, right, that's right, the main yeah. thing yeah. that she's okay, I do been lately. I do know that, yeah. But I, I'm done with Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, you told me I haven't seen the the new season, but I, I want to watch it because I'm curious why everyone's so mad. It can't be that bad. I love the first season. We won't talk about it. Okay. Um, so yeah, so she meets uh, Anne Dowd, and Anne Dowd seems to be sort of uh, wants her to come back to counseling, and also wants to somehow help. Anne Dowd is wearing all red, by the way, right? Or at least a red sweater. Um, the counseling center again is all green. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> when she goes to Anne Dowd's house, she sees the embroidered mat mm-hmm. that she mentions her yeah, mom's red embroidery, yeah. which I'm going to make you one for sure. That'd be awesome, yeah. But the first time she goes to Ann Dad's house, she does mention about her sleepwalking incident where she put I'm, paint thinner all over her children and woke herself up. And she was just like, it was just a dream. Yeah, just a good icebreaker Guys. conversation. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I imagine how scary that is when you have a, a dad who clearly was suffering from something. Yeah. And then like a brother. On, on Hill House where... Um, you know, she. Uh, oh right, yeah. He wakes up and she has a knife to his throat. Right. But yeah. So I mean, I guess at first there's nothing terribly uh, supernatural or strange about the Andal character, but you kind of get a vibe from her. Yeah. Well, first you see Tony Collette kind of starting to unhinge. Um, they show her in her workshop, and she's oh, yes. recreated her very very green 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 workshop. <laughs> That's the greenest of all the rooms. Yes, and she's recreating the the death of Charlie. Yeah. And she has the best line ever, which is... Well, okay, so let's talk about how she's recreating the death of Charlie. So this is a diorama. It is, again, miniatures and right. with little dolls. She's created a miniature car wreck in, with a miniature pole and a miniature body missing missing a miniature head yes. <laughs> that is lying next to the road. Uh, she's like is, putting a little blood splatters. Right. She's yeah. She's recreating her daughter's very violent, very disturbing death. So Gabriel Byrne walks in the room, and uh, you know her husband's yeah. father of this child uh, walks in the room and and says something like, "Gosh, that sure is upsetting." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he even mentions like, "What would Peter say?" Yeah, what would Peter say? And 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 Tony Clark, you know, just is has another great moment where she's just like, you know, what, what, what? You know, this is a neutral view of the accident. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, by that point, you kind of recognize, okay, you know, she's she's a little bit gone now. I think this, that may have been before the, the big fight scene, but... Yeah, but still, just like, okay, things... She's not handling this 
exactly healthy. Yeah, she also has these uh these ed- these people calling her about her dioramas and these right. deadlines, she- which gives me like the biggest anxiety in the whole movie. <laughs> right. uh, also, what is this? For like a magazine, or I'm not sure. <laughs> like, what is there a museum that's going to open up? Or like, I don't understand what. I does. guess she's doing an exhibition of her. I yeah, don't know for what possible <laughs> group or agency. Like, it's very uh, seems very idiosyncratic, but you know whatever. Well, then, so I guess the next big scene where we kind of are like, oh shit, what is this moving into? Is when she goes back to Joan's house, who's Anne Dowd. And they had the seance. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Joan ambushes her again in the right. parking lot of her and home that, goods or whatever, wherever she gets yeah. her miniature supplies. In the middle of Utah. Yeah. She needs more doll heads. And, <laughs> but uh, that was another scene where Tony Collette is so good. And how she, she, you, you kind of react where you're, she's like kind of smiling uncomfortably yeah. and trying to pull away, but right. she can't. And I mean, just that. Give her the Oscar for that scene. Yeah. I would actually give her the Oscar for the scene before that where she's in the car and Andy approaches the first time and says, uh, well, you know, at first she's like annoyed by this person. Then Andy tells her, yeah, I've lost my son and my grandkid. And, you know, this place is silly, but it helps. And, right. and uh, Tony Collette seems so, at the same time, annoyed and at the same time touched. <laughs> and that all registers on her face. And so it's just kind of me again hitting her Academy Award to the TV screen. <laughs> so, yeah, so they go back to Ann Dowd's house, who is Joan. And so she tries to talk her into doing a seance. And again, that, she's pulling back, but she's trying to be polite. She does that so well. Right. You could just see yourself in that particular situation. Yeah, like, you're a crazy person, but I'll listen politely, <laughs> yeah. but also try and get my car. <laughs> but also, I I did lose my daughter. Yeah. And, um, but then, as soon as the... So, Ann Dowd tells her that she's hurt her son or her grandson. Her grandson. She says, this is true. This has happened to me. Right. And so I guess Tony Clett's like, well, she doesn't seem crazy. Why not? So then they put their hands on the glass and the glass moves. And Tony Collette's just like, what the fuck is going on? Because like, that's what's so the scariest thing to me. It's just like, if this, if this calculator moved, you have a calculator here, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's my office. It's cute. Um, if it moved one inch, that would be terrifying, right? Yeah, but I was kind of confused because wasn't Ann Dale's hand on the object? So well, it's like, so then so she looks under the table. Right, there's nothing there. And she's like, what's going on? And then something brushes her hair. Yeah, that was scary. Yeah. And then something starts writing with the chalk. And so it starts, I think it goes very quickly. And she's like, okay, this is actually happening. Yeah. It's, but it's, that's what's so creepy to me is the, the creepiest thing is just like something slightly moving. Or if you come home and something is not where you left it. That's so much creepier to me. Like, there, there's that one scene in Poltergeist. All that scary stuff that happens in Poltergeist. But the one, the main thing that sticks with me is, like, when the guys first show up, they mentioned that they filmed a toy car. And you couldn't tell, but it was moving very slowly. Do you remember that at all? Yeah. We'll have to do Poltergeist. It's been a long time since I watched it. She, she leaves freaked out. But Ann Dowd kind of gives her the instructions on what to do <laughs> very quickly. Like, if you want to try this at home, yeah. here's your DIY Right. Light a candle, say these words, and she's just she leaves freaked out, and she doesn't know what she's gonna do. But then she goes home and tries it. Yeah, she does. And, and like, then... unlike most DIY projects, it works. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it works quite well. So she gets um, a few scenes later. She gets uh, Gabriel Byrne and her son involved, and she plays... well first that she has a dream sequence, which is uh, very creepy. Right. Where she, she she sees she follows the ants, and they're all over Peter. 
And then um, Peter wakes up. So you think that this is not the dream. And she tells Peter she wish she never had him. That fun scene, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and the I way she re- immediately scene. reacts yeah. is so good too. But then you that that whole thing's a dream too. So then she wakes up from that. What that whole sequence is creepy as fuck too. Then she wakes up from that, and then she's like, "Wait, waking everybody up." <laughs> Instead of like, "Good morning, I made you guys breakfast," she's like, "Good Wait, morning, I made you a seance." <laughs> yeah, and, and the way she plays that scene is, is so good. I mean, she's so. I don't want to say crazy, but just so... Oh, she's desperate. Desperate, but yeah. excited and like, uh, you know, just not understanding why no one else is into this. You know, like, you know, Gabriel Burns like... Well, she's also trying not to push it too far. Yeah. She's trying to like... Um, which I really get that, having like a really introverted husband. Like, I really want to like... I get really excited about things and I want to do it right away and he's more hesitant. And there's that line that you have to make sure that you're very gentle with. And she's doing that so well. And she's like, don't, 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 no, no, no. And there's a, there, one of my favorite scenes is whenever um, Gabriel Burns like, go to bed, Peter. And she says, what? And turns around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No! That's what I was thinking of, yeah. And she's You're like that. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good. And there's that, so there's that scene where I guess she wants to be, um, well, she wants to conjure Charlie. Right. And so she, whatever happens in the scene, it's unclear. But I guess the idea is she's possessed by Charlie. Yes. Or at least pretending to be possessed. You don't really know. When she does that voice, and it's Charlie's voice, is that Tony Collette doing Charlie's voice? Or is that the Charlie... Is that... Uh, I'm not sure. It's really good either way. But it is. But I kind of think it's Tony Collette, you know. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, because... Well, I also really loved Alex Wolf in these scenes, too. Like, he seems genuinely terrified. Yeah. And worse and worse things are happening to him. <laughs> Again, he's now the... The kid in the horror movie. But, you know, so next, I guess we have, you know, Alex Wolf, Peter at uh, school. Oh, God. Well, first, you know, a lot of movies, they do like the time lapse from day to night. Mm-hmm. But this one, it was like a light switch. Yeah. I love that. I don't remember seeing that in anything else. Do you? No, but I, and I, I, I have my thoughts on that. I think that's because they do it a few times. Yeah. And it seems to be supposed to maybe suggesting like, like almost like missing time, like from the character's point of view. Hmm. Like they... You know, like on the X Files yes. when they would, we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but they would. Uh, that's my take on it because it happens at a very crucial moment later, uh, and I think that's kind of what's supposed to. The idea. It's not just simply showing. And now it's daytime. It's more like the characters don't even really know what's going on anymore. Okay. Uh, is, is my take on it. Okay, that makes it really so much more interesting. But yes, and then so if we get to Peter at school, it's not quite the spookiest scene of Peter at school. No, but it's in a very, very lime green room. I will say that. Is it? Okay. I gotta watch. I gotta go back and watch it again. Okay. Okay. I will. Also, I forgot to mention though, uh, early in the movies and throughout the movies, whenever they're showing the tree house scene, especially Mm -hmm. nights, that color is always bright, bright red. So just kind of keep that in mind. Another one of the most disturbing scenes is when Peter is at school and he looks at his reflection and his fucking reflection is smiling yeah. at him. Now, do you remember that being... That happened all the time to me. Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the, the most subtly creepy things I've ever seen. And I mean, like, it, like now going back, that happens in Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same. Like, what other horror... That must have been done before. But, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. It does seem... 
kind of familiar. But it's so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a, that's a great shot. That whole sequence is really good. It's, you know, him being so out of control. Well, uh, and then you also see the, the the kind of lights again, right. the sort of uh, trying to get into him, I guess. Yeah. But I also like how they don't focus on the teachers or the principals or going into the principal's office or Charlie was being weird again. You know, we need to talk to you. They don't even worry about that. They focus on the family. Yeah, the teachers seem like good teachers. There's nothing going on there. You know, the principal's not out to get. Them. There's no bullies that they, that we see. It's mainly the four members of this family and what's going on with them. Well, so then we kind of go back to Tony Collette and she's trying to figure out what's going on. She They have the scene where she tries to burn Charlie's art book because she sees Charlie drawing in it. Yeah. And she makes the connection as that she, if that book burns and she burns, you right, know, so yeah. they have that yeah. whole scene. And then she tries to go back to Joan and she can't get in. She can't find Joan. And that's when we see the, the altar. Yeah. yeah. And, and everything in the apartment. And the, and the signs, the same signs you saw on the, the, I call it a fire pole. I know that's what you call it. But the, the oh, pu- uh, the telephone pole. <laughs> the fire pole. <laughs> yeah. The firemen are sliding down it. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So the signs all throughout the movie. And then you, you realize, okay, there's a whole lot more going on with Joan. Although you kind of guessed that by that point. Right. Um, and also around that time, uh, you know, Tony Collette, Annie looks up her mother's books. Well, yeah, well, so, yeah. But so before that, she goes to the apartment and tries to find her, and then it pans to the altar that she's made with Peter's picture in it. Oh, I didn't see Peter's picture. Yeah, and then it's got um, Charlie's little uh, robot type things that she's made, and they're bowing to the main robot type thing. What? Yeah. <laughs> Can we watch this again tonight? Yes. Let's watch it again tonight. <laughs> and so that's the little altar that she has going on there. And so oh, my God. I just noticed the signs like on the walls and all the other weird shit. Okay. I really noticed but the yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's so much to see. That's why this movie yeah. should have been nominated for fucking Best Picture. Yeah. Anyway, so then she goes back. So then you're right. So then she goes back to her house. And then she starts pulling out um, all this stuff that I guess, I mean, she, before she had kind of tried to pull it out. But you see that it was still a little too painful yeah, for her. And also, she didn't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's been estranged from her mom. Yeah. And again, like, if you think about if your mom you've been estranged from who... I mean, you, what, what's going to be in there? Like, some dusty old magazines and stuff. You wouldn't think that it would be, like, that she was the queen of hell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but <like>, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, she starts digging through there. And that, that was one trope that they kind of did when she opens the book and it happens to go to the page that we need to see. Yeah. But we, we, we need this information. So, yeah, it's this fine. this whole thing is very, like, Rosemary's Baby to me. Like, right. sort of, uh, you know, kind of like with the neighbors and, like, it's all occurring to Rosemary. Like, oh, they're all Satanists. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I love, you know, so you see... The mother, and it looks like with photos of someone that clearly is supposed to be endowed or mm-hmm. a younger version of her. They're all wearing these strange necklaces. Um, I, I love the picture of, of of her mom in like the white outfit, and they're like showering her with right. money. And it's just like it's so cool. Yeah. So and terrifying, but it's like I mean, again, that's the last thing you think that you're going to open up when you go through your 78 year old mom's stuff. Right. But then we kind of get the idea that um, so there is that page that they show about there's something about a a male um, spirit trying to get into a male body, and yeah, so it's you, like Piam or right. Some so you, name so like it puts that. it in your head that oh they're trying to get into Peter. They're trying to take over Peter. Yeah, it has to be a male spirit. body. It does not accept female bodies. Yeah. Right. Although why you would worship such a thing, I don't know. But 
And then we also, so earlier we had learned like um, Steve, I think his name is Steve, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. He says um, he gets a phone call until so we hear something about uh, Gray being desecrated, but we don't hear much more. And then, and then later we see pictures that he's been emailed, the body has been taken, and then all of this is kind of being intercut with Peter at school. It goes very fast all of a sudden, and then Peter's at school, and then obviously we have the terrifying scene of him when he puts his hand up. Jesus Christ! Yeah, just absolutely freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, I can't really figure out what's going on with his face, but it looks like his face is being like pulled back yes. somehow, which happens later or earlier where, you know, those hands pull his face back. Yes. Is that before or after that happens? I think it's after. Okay. Well, so I mean, you're like, is that Tony Collette? Well, actually, I'm not sure, but yeah. He's, yeah either, I mean, it, obviously, he looks like a puppet. Yeah. And it's it's terrifying. Right. And, and I think the idea is like, is someone trying to pull his head off? Oh, I don't know. Like because later in the real scene where someone's hands are, it's like she's trying to pull his hands off. <laughs> that's not how that works. No, but I mean that seems to be the idea. And so, but they need, I, they need his body though. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's supposed to make that amount of literal sense, but I do think there's something to the idea that like for this this entity or whatever it is to transport between bodies, uh, their head needs to be off. I don't know. Maybe. Right. <laughs> There's something to that. I'm probably reading that a little bit too, again, literally, but. Well, and it's, and all this is also being intercut with Annie going up to the attic and finally <laughs> finding the body. Yeah. And, and of her mom then? Or is well, it... she sees the body. There's no head. Yeah. There's flies. There's obviously something going on. But then so again. it's not her daughter. It's her mom, right? Right. Okay. But since at first, we're still just like, well, is this. So the mom's lost her head too. Yes, they took her head. So I'm thinking the mom was also maybe a carrier and didn't work out. Well, did they have to take her head off to get her soul out? And then is her... But this is a different spirit. Well, I'm thinking maybe the, the, the mom lost her head and then the, the spirit went to Charlie when the mom died. The but, grandmother. But it needs... Because the grandmother spent a lot of time with Charlie, remember? So maybe she was like grooming her. But yeah, at this point, you're still kind of like, well, is this still in her head or she's just dreaming again but then gabriel byrne comes home gabriel byrne has to go pick up peter he's already like jesus christ and he starts driving up i love that scene when he's driving up and tony collette comes out like crazy and he's just like oh my god no and then she tells him you know my mom's body's up in the attic and of course he's like sure it is but then he goes up there and it is and oh, he's like, and, and okay. then, he, but then he accuses her. He's like, "Well, you went and dug it up." Oh, okay. You obviously did this, and then she's like, "I didn't." And he's like, oh, "I'm out of here." Oh, so then this all kind of, she's like, "But I know how to solve this. We'll burn this book." And so she thinks that if she burns this book, she's going to sacrifice herself and save Peter. And the ghosts are like, "Fuck you." <laughs> yeah, but I didn't think about. So she already had this premonition of burning her son alive. Yeah. There's so much to this movie, Chris. But so also he, one thing that happening now that I think is interesting, you know, things are ramping up. Uh, so again, I like to talk stylistically about what the movie's doing. Like uh-huh. the first hour, you know, or so, if you notice, you know, the camera is always moving very slow, you know, like, yes. it, it, you know, it's very shining like oh. and things seem to take forever, like even moving across the hallway. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons people say, you know, the movie's kind of boring. Although people say that? I've seen that, yeah. Okay. People that are dumb. <laughs> 
Um, but by this point, if you notice, like once things are rushing up, it's, it's funny if you watch how the camera moves. Like the camera's moving very, not fast. It's not like the Transformers movies. <laughs> but, you know, it's fun to watch how the director, if you're really paying attention, how he gets you involved. And what he does is like as the plot escalates is he has the camera movie just much more fast. Either towards the characters, away from the characters. There's like the sense of urgency escalates scene by scene by scene. Okay. It, there's camera moves in the last half movie that don't exist at all. Or you can't even imagine this in the first half movie is all I'm saying. Okay. Where everything's like <laughs> Right. Which I can't you can't hear right. this. Right. Very the, slow panning. Yes. yes. Those are my hands slowly moving across the microphone. Um, I wonder when that actually starts because there is a really great camera move. There's two. One, when Tony Collette goes to wake up Peter for the seance and yeah. the camera moves like 90 degrees um, very quickly. And then one, when Tony Collette is walking to Joan's door and it starts upside down and then follows her upside down. Oh, yeah. Um Okay. There's one particular scene I always I just noticed it in, and it, it just uh, I think it's when Tony Clett is rummaging through the boxes, and the, the camera just goes very fast forward towards her. And I remember as every time I see, it, I think, oh yeah, that's like new, like that's okay. Uh, and then the whole rest of the movie is kind of like that. It just it just it enters a way of building kind of momentum, right? Because it does ramp up, doesn't it? Yeah, things escalate quickly. Yes. As so <laughs> so Peter wakes up and he finds his dad's charred body. Which they they show plenty of, mm-hmm. um, and then that's like the big oh shit moment when you see him looking at his charred body and you see Tony Collette in the corner on the ceiling. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. So I but there's that moment on when Tony Collette burns uh, Gabriel Byrne though. Right, and she seems to something happens. Yes. Yeah, I think the spirits or whatever sort of possesses her or she allows it in or something but also isn't that the scene where it clicks from day to night or night to day like it might yeah um so anyway there's this moment where something happens to her and she's just kind of gone from that point yes but yes you're right that is quite alarming when you realize oh tony quite on like goddamn ceiling well and then it cuts to that same man we saw at the funeral at the beginning yes naked yeah he's quite naked in the doorway yeah and, and you, don't, you only recognize him because he has that same smile. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't recognize him otherwise, I don't think. And then... Have you seen Gerald's Game? Do I say this every episode? Well, no, we talked about it. Remember um, I watched half of it? Okay, there's a very similar scene in Gerald's Game, Ooh, which is... Uh, I'll have to finish it. Yeah, oh, so good. I'm sorry. And then Tony Collette just comes running at Peter. And then everything moves very quickly. Well, now what happens is you kind of are aware of Tony Collette being yes. in the ceiling. You hear something drop. And then Tony Collette jumps out of the corner, and Chris screams like he's ever screamed in his life. I swear to God, last night I shrieked, and then I, I mean I laughed like ten minutes. Right. I mean, I, I, mean it, I mean, I think people thought, did, did a girl get murdered next door? I mean, it was. I mean, I forgot about that. Yes. Um, but it's so well done because I, I think that's what happens. Yes. You hear the drop. He looks in that general direction, meaning probably the ceiling. <laughs> And then she just bursts out like bursts a hyena. Out. And he just, and he just, it's it's definitely like that fight or flight. He's just like yeah. flight. He is gone. <laughs> he runs too and she chases him. Yeah. Full on running. And so she's just full on demon at this point, I guess, right? I mean, is that yeah, the idea? Yeah. Well, so then he runs up into the attic, which is her plan all along. And it seems like when they left the, the oh, ladder yeah. down and then he closes the ladder up, <laughs> and then she's 
banging on it with oh, her head. Oh, that's such a great scene. And then he said, That so, should be your Ashkenazi reel. Just bang, 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 <laughs> bang. <laughs> and then he is saying, like, Mommy, please stop. And that just killed me, too. Like, none of it ever seemed cheesy with him or anything like that. Like, it was just like, he's just resorting. He's always been a little scared of her. I mean, wouldn't you be if your mom woke you up Floating and covered you? The ceiling, yeah. No, no. The, the beginning, covered in oh, the, paint yeah, that thinner. Too, yeah. And then obviously he's always a little scared of her. And then I liked in the dream too, she says to him, why are you scared of me? And I think he says like, why are you scared of me? Or something like that. There's, they have they have some sort of similar thing where they're... Well, that's kind of interesting. I haven't really, really thought about that. But that's kind of like an interesting inverse of say The Shining. Where um, Stephen King always said that Shining was kind of about, alcoholism aside, this idea that a child always being kind of afraid of his father. Hmm. Especially an old boy, like they say that your dad will hurt you someday. Right. That even comes down to the Kubrick movie. You know, that's one of the things he kept <laughs> from, the, from the King story. Mm-hmm. So this is like kind of similar. It's like the idea of like being scared of your mother. Yeah. On a primal level. Yes. Uh, I kind of get that. I was terrified <laughs> my mom was a kid. More so than my dad. I wasn't scared uh, of either one of my parents. I was very scared of my mom. I can't say why. She didn't abuse me or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I get that. You know, she. What wielded a sort of power, I suppose. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, is that when he sees his uh, So he sees uh, the other people in the attic naked, right? Well, first he sees, like, just the candles. He sees this picture with his eyes burned out. Then he hears a sawing sound. Which is just his mother... Cutting her head off slowly. Yeah, what she needs to do because I think that, you know, because at that point I believe she's really, she's possessed by a demon. Okay, so he and he's yes. Something she wants to yes, release it. Yes, 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 Chris. Yes, because then he sees the old naked people, and he jumps out the window. Yeah. And when he jumps out the window, he may have died. We're not sure. Doesn't matter. But you see the the. So as, as soon as he jumps out, you, you still hear the sawing. Yeah. And then you hear the thud of her head coming up. You hear it hit the. Yeah. So and I then mean, the light goes into him. Yeah. Yes. So that's kind of where I'm getting all that from. Yes. I thought about this all morning. You're exactly right. <laughs> um, so, yes. And then so so somehow... At the same time, I do feel that may be, be too literal, but I, and that's just the only... Someone wrote that story, and I feel yes. like that's where they're going with it. Yes. It has to be. You hear the thud yeah. of her head fall off. You see the light come out, and it goes into him. Yeah. And then he wakes up as Charlie. Right. Or as... Whatever this god thing is. Well, they call him. They, I mean, they say Charlie. I thought they call him the name of the. Well, first they say Charlie. Oh, oh I didn't catch that. That was my impression of Van Dowd. Um, yeah. So then he sees his headless mom flying up to the treehouse, as you do. Right. And then he walks up there. And what is the? And okay, so here's my thing. All right. Okay. What is the color of the treehouse now? Is it not red anymore? No. Is it green? It's kind of a yellow color. Oh. How do you get yellow? Red plus green. You mix them. That is crazy, Chris. Yes, that's so crazy. You were so excited. You've already <laughs> jumped out of your chair. No, but I think, but I mean, like, the, that's, you know, the, the world's, a, you know, that's, I think that's what they've been building to. It's like, you know, I don't know what that means exactly, but. Well, no, that makes sense. They have come together. Yeah. You were so excited. I'm very excited about that. That is great. I mean, so I meant to look up like what colors represent earlier. 
I have a general awareness. So green, and you have, you know, it's obviously jealousy. Right. Um, red, you have, I suppose, envy, things like that. Rage. Rage. Anger. Rage. But uh, but but generally, in, in the world of movie, the red is sort of this kind of, you know, inviting sort of, uh, or seductive presence, whether oh, right, it's endowed right. or the tree house where, you know, they kind of escape to. Yes. Where Charlie escapes to yeah. all the time. And then, you know, everything else really in the movie is kind of green one way or the other. And so I think that subconsciously, I'm not trying to say they're like trying to like make some sort of operatic statement with it, but I think subconsciously they're trying to let you know that like by the time you get to the yellow tree house, like the mission's kind of been completed somehow. Maybe. Right. It's finished. Yeah. It's worked. <laughs> uh the director is listening to this and is like, God, this guy's fucking nuts. <laughs> but I Ari, of, yeah. he's not nuts. I had a lot of fun playing with that last night. That so is great. I say is absolutely correct. They also kill the dog. They see the dog. Which seemed wholly unnecessary. Definitely. I mean, the dog had been like in one scene in the movie before that. <sighs> Although I did have my surround sound on last night and heard the dog barking and got really confused. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't remember Dog being in the movie. Yeah, it was in the first scene. Like, well, when um, they go into the room of Peter. Anyway, poor dog. Here's a great dog. So, okay. So now we get into the treehouse scene. And we add, and this is like very similar to me to the end of The Witch. Where you have the very literal, suddenly mm-hmm. black uh, Philip kind of manifest. Unbeknownst to you, apparently. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like kind of lay out his thing and she accepts and it's kind of very literal from that point on. She becomes the witch and yeah, uh, yeah. meets the other witches in the woods and it's like, oh, I guess that's there's no real subtext to this. It's actually about a witch. Yeah, they, they see Charlie's decomposed head on top of a yeah, mannequin. Yeah, which I did not notice the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought it was a maybe like a doll the first time. And then her grandma and mom had those bodies bowing to her. Okay, so that's your that's the grandma and... Tony Oh, Collette. because she floated up into it. Yes. Holy shit. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> okay. See, that's why I was, I was like, whose headless bodies are those? Okay. So I feel like those are all the previous occupants of the demon or whatever or it's like the women that have been wanting this happen sort of offering themselves up like that's what they need to do to it's like a sacrifice for the ultimate kind of oh maybe to get this yeah it's just some bizarre ritual eighth king of hell yeah that's what they call him what's his name piam or something like that does it say piel so yeah so so there's this you know great scene where like uh you know we realize you know okay this is all been leading to these people this family and their associates injecting this demon into this male body yeah because he wanted a male body so they gave him a healthy male body but they wanted charlie to be because they did they want charlie to be in this body the whole time or is that just a well i think it's charlie i think it's the demon that they try to put in Charlie. And Charlie was a female, so she was not. But they say Charlie, and they call, and she, and, and Peter looks over. So do yeah. they want. I don't know. I'll think about that. Okay. Um, my impression is that Charlie was a failed experiment. Hmm. Maybe some part of her that carried the demon carried forward. But and maybe the demon, you know, carries on the attributes of these other people or something. 
But like, you know, there's also a little bit of kind of misogyny there. Like these women aren't good enough for this male demon. Right. And we need this, you know, I guess cute guy to be the... Well, so maybe they somehow found a loophole and they really wanted Charlie to be this demon, yeah. but they used his her soul to... Go, but they used the male body, but they kind of tricked it and they're still using a female soul? Maybe, yeah. Maybe the women win... Yeah, it doesn't seem like it because they all get their heads cut off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then the the end is so cool. I mean, they back out of it, and again, it looks like one of the doll Annie's house. miniatures. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, with a very kind of. I mean, it's to, to defeat my point. It's almost more of an orange than a yellow, but I just I can't go there because it, well, it needs to be yellow for my okay. point to work. Um, and I actually Google like what makes orange. I'm like, no, it makes yellow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what else to do with the red and green symbolism other than like a Christmas thing, which doesn't seem to fit. There doesn't seem to be any Christmas, no. And then it ends with a kind of a happy song, it sounds like. But the song the song is called Both Sides Now. I don't doesn't think that, about that. Yeah. yeah, doesn't that kind of... It's a Johnny Mitchell song, but it's sung by a singer named Judy Collins. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I Yeah. Did my Siri on it. And okay. I just assumed that that was the original singer. But Both singer. Sides Now, doesn't that mean... Both the sides have come together. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can deal with that. It's kind of a cynical movie. I don't know. I mean, I. It's. it's it seems to suggest that you don't have much in the way of free will or agency. You're kind of just maybe under the control. Maybe you don't have much in the way of a uh, control over your own life, which is upsetting. Or maybe in a different movie, there would have been a Harry Potter type figure who would have stepped in and saved the day. And defeated the evil spirit, but in this case, the evil spirits won. Yeah. Maybe sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Also, I mean, Peter seems happier as an evil spirit. I mean, he's pretty happy then. <laughs> he was not a happy kid. Yeah, he was not. And at the end, he got to smile and make his little clucking sounds. <laughs> <laughs> because he was Charlie, though. Or is it? Or is the clucking sound a demon? I don't know. We'll never know. Generally, broadly, the movie is called Hereditary, right? So uh-huh. we always can start with there. I feel like, you know, plot aside, literal plot aside, you know, the movie is very much about uh, this sort of legacy of family dysfunction, how it sort of, you know, kind of carries forward and sort of feeds on itself. Right. Mother to daughter, father to son, that type of thing. And uh, which is also kind of cynical. You know, you wonder what issues the director was maybe working through. But, uh <laughs> But, I mean, you can take aside all the very literal sort of supernatural things that happen, be left with that, and still have a very good, compelling movie, you know? If you just have the drama of it. Right. You know, the drama of Tony Collette yelling at her son for an hour. Right. Uh, it's it's really powerful. I it mean, is. The, the demon possession is just kind of a bonus <laughs> for, you know, Chris Doty when gets bored. That's kind of been a theme with a lot of our movies, though. Like, if you could have taken the first hour or so... And had a different ending, it still would have been a great movie. Yeah, The Imitation. Yeah. Um, the um, Witch. For sure. Yeah. 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 Pet Cemetery. Less so. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you definitely need the you yeah, know, Gage, Gage Creed in it up in that. Um, Did I tell you that um, my dad called me and said I, that you watched Pet Cemetery because of our podcast? Oh, really? Yeah. How sweet. He was like, you needed to warn me. I was like, we didn't listen to the podcast first. So he kind of like outed himself. Like he didn't <laughs> listen to the podcast. Oh, he didn't. Okay. At, so and then he, cause he's still like, I still get this a lot. I don't know how to listen to it. 
Well, how do you know? Oh, so he just told me that you just, he just knew he, he that we... He knew that the, that the line came from this movie, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> he hadn't seen it before, so he went and watched it. That's and he was sweet, like, you yeah. needed to warn me. I didn't know the little kid. But then, you know, the scene that he mentioned, he was like, it did crack me up, though, when the little kid jumped out of the attic and just kind of, like, <laughs> fell out. Which I think your exact line was like, they just like, they put a blonde wig on a My Buddy doll. But, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% sure that's what they did. Well, so this is a fucking amazing movie yeah and again if, if we haven't said enough uh tony collette deserves all the oscars of the world but the movie itself i think you know deserves oscars it deserves know. a best picture nomination i think so so we need to start the same sort of thing that happened when dark knight should have been nominated and it wasn't and then they kind of moved that's kind of like what pushed them towards having a 10 um, picture nomination thing and then so now finally Black Panther has been nominated which I think deserves it too I love that movie but there still is not the same regard for horror movies so five stars five stars uh, five and a half stars uh, two Oscars for Tony Collette best actress <laughs> best supporting actress best demon uh, <laughs> Okay, so Chris, let's talk about again about the color thing. Yeah, you, you don't seem uh, terribly convinced by my rationale or my theory. So, what, well, what, what's your problem? <laughs> well, no, it's just so green and red are supposed to mix and make yellow. Yes. Or orange, did you say? Well, no, yellow for sure. But I mean, to your point, we did Google it <laughs> during the break. Well, because yellow is a primary color, right? Right, but it's also. Um, a secondary uh, color in certain circumstances. Okay. That doesn't mean they can't be made by other colors. Yes. It's been a long time since I've been in kindergarten. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, yes, I Googled it because, you know, I respect your opinion. and your, I just wasn't sure. Uh, yeah. and but no, So, it but, does, it did, we, we did kind of come to the consensus that some people are saying it makes brown. Right. But then it seemed like the color... The higher color theory things were saying, yeah, you mix them and they make yellow. So Yeah, at least sometimes it makes yellow. And the world of hereditary, green or red make yellow, which is the main point. Well, I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so I found a true crime, and I bet you're like, you can't find a true crime on hereditary, right? Seems unlikely, but I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Okay, you're willing to hear me out? Right. I mean, I guess earlier uh, I was thinking that surely, and we talked about this a little bit, there's probably someone somewhere that thought someone was possessed and maybe and killed them, or they thought they were possessed Possible. and killed others. Possible. It's kind or, of like that. Or they floated on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned those two horrific uh, accidents. Right. Okay. But we have a, so a third true story, though, is what we're saying. Well, uh, yeah. So what I'm going to talk to you about is the sleepwalking defense. Okay. Uh, the first use of the sleepwalking defense was used in 1846 in the murder trial of Albert Terrell. So police found the body of Maria Bickford, who was a sex worker. She had her throat slit so bad it was almost like to the point of decapitation. So, Terrell was a frequent customer of Maria, and they had a more significant relationship than that of her other customers, even though he was he was married with a wife and kids. But he looked at this as uh, a real relationship, so he started getting jealous about her seeing other customers. Okay, and did I miss it? Did you say, like, when this was or what year? 1846. Okay. And so, even though he lit multiple fires to try and cover up evidence, and he fled to New Orleans... 
somehow he was still acquitted by the jury on the insanity of sleep because his attorney, Rufus Coate, was able to prove that Terrell was prone to sleepwalking. So that's just the first example. That's not the one I want to delve into. The one I want to delve into is much more interesting, and I think it ties much more into hereditary and what's happening. So this is the case of Joseph Mitchell. Um, I first heard of this on episode 117 of Sword and Scale, and then I read some more about it. Uh, But this happened in 2010 in Hillsborough, North Carolina. So Joe was married to Christine, and they had three kids together. There was 13-year-old Lexi, 10-year-old Devin, and 4-year-old Blake. So Joe and Christine are kind of having a hard time. They're having financial issues, but nothing that seems to be too bad. Until one night, Lexi is awoken by her dad, who has his hands over her mouth and around her throat. So she elbows him and bites him, but because she's still half asleep, she's not even sure if this actually happened. She thought it was a dream, because when she kind of wakes up, he's gone, and she actually goes back to sleep. That's something I would do. Well, that also sounds similar to things that were happening in Hereditary, isn't it? Yeah. People were waking up doing these terrible things, and then some things were happening, and they weren't actually dreams. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've woken up and found, like, I remember one time in our old apartment, I woke up, and I'm pretty sure there was a mouse in my bed, like, in the bed with me. Remember there were mice problems? Yeah. Uh, and then I turned on the light, and it wasn't there, and then I just went back to sleep. Right. But it was very clearly there. I mean, but I guess, you know, when you're tired enough, I mean, I know this is less... So you think ex- the mouse was actually there? In my bed, for sure, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, there's not this huge mystery that would be able to leave by the time I turn the light on. Yeah, they're very quick. Yes, but so anyway, so then she goes back to sleep, but then Devin is asleep, and he is awoken by his dad doing the same thing, putting his hands over his mouth, his um, hands around his neck, and then this so this is when Lexi really wakes up, and she goes into her brother's room, and her dad is attacking him. She turns the light on, and they see his and. They see their dad wearing his mom's jacket, gardening gloves, and a Halloween mask. Wow. And her dad appears to be out of it. Like, he starts going over to the lights and turning them on and off, all the while still kind of fighting them. I wonder what kind of Halloween mask it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. But wouldn't that be terrifying? Yeah, I mean, it'd be funny if it was just like a, you know, Batman mask or something. But then Lexi wakes up her mom and tells her that dad is trying to hurt her. So... The mom wakes up. She doesn't know what's going on. Joe has locked himself in his office. She can't get in. And she finds her four-year-old in his bed, not breathing. So she begins to perform CPR. And her dad had just gotten home. Her dad lives with them, too. So the granddad of the kids. He calls 911. And you can actually hear this 911 call. If you feel brave enough. I don't recommend it. Are you going to link it to her episode? I found it in a couple articles. And also, it's in Sword and Scale, the, that episode. Oh, okay. And they also play audio from the trial. It's not for the... Squeamish. Yes. Uh, the dad is freaking out. The mom is freaking out. It's it's very awful. Um, but so, Blake dies. They get him to the hospital, but they can't revive him. When the police get to the house, Joe is still locked in his office. They can't get in. So, they break down the door, and Joe is found bleeding from self-inflicted stab wounds. And he's unconscious. So they're like, what the hell happened here tonight? So they have to slowly kind of piece him back together by talking to the kids. They get Joe to the hospital and he recovers. 
So he gets arrested for uh, obviously attacking his children and murdering his son. But Joe was a calm, nonviolent man. He's never had any history of violence. He never even hardly raised his voice. Um, but so they start researching and they figure out that, but Joe was not able to pay the bills. They were having their house foreclosed on. He was keeping this all a secret. He had been given a foreclosure notice two weeks before and they were supposed to be evicted, but he never told his wife. He didn't, he just was holding this all in. He was sleeping maybe two hours a night. What his attorney was trying to say is that he had been compartmentalizing all these issues and putting them away and putting so much pressure on himself that that pressure was able to induce this sleepwalking and he didn't know what he was doing at the time. They argue an automatism defense, which is essentially a sleepwalking defense, saying that he did not know he, what he was doing. There are certain things that do support this, like his repetitive behavior of turning the lights on and off. That's apparently something that people do when they're sleepwalking. The fact that he could have easily killed his two kids, they're 10 and 13, but he didn't. He didn't they didn't even get hurt. Yeah. But maybe because the little one, he was so little that he was able to cut off his air long enough. I don't know. It all is, it's it's very odd, right? And he had no, I imagine he had no real other motive. Well, no. I mean, there, well, there's always, there's so many stories of the father or the head of the household who thinks that he has to provide and he can't and he loses his job. And so he thinks that the best idea is to kill everybody. <laughs> so that happens a lot. But in this case, that doesn't seem to be what happened because, like I said, he he could have easily done it differently. Now, the way it happens over a couple of different nights, too, seems to... It was the same night. Oh, it was the same night? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, the, the fact that he... I guess we're saying the same thing. The fact that he sort of tried this already with the, what, the daughter. Yeah. Uh, and just didn't necessarily fail, but like, you know, uh, you know, it seems like if he really wanted to do it, he would... He could have. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all very weird. And also they had a doctor testify that his unconsciousness when they found him didn't appear to be from blood loss. Like he hadn't lost enough blood to be unconscious. They He was theorizing that he was already unconscious. So whatever he was doing, he wasn't aware of his actions before that. And he was still like in his sleepwalking trance. So, but the jury found him not guilty based on the sleepwalking defense. He was released from prison after four years, after the trials and everything, the jury did state they did want to find him guilty of manslaughter because they thought that he deserved some kind of punishment, but the judge didn't allow it. Like, the only option on the table was first-degree murder. Right. I mean, it seems that seems right based on that offense. That he couldn't be guilty for manslaughter either because uh, there's no intentionality at all, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But so he's out. He his, his wife divorced him while he was in jail. And I don't know what's happened since then. That was 2015 that he got out. So I don't know if he's reconciled with his children or not. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, mean, I think that, it, that does, you know, that's very much in the spirit of hereditary. For, you know, that's a, but it's pretty sad. That's a very sad story. If, if, it's, it's, sad if, it's, no not, if it's not true, it's then it's infuriating because he got away with murder. Right. <laughs> But we you know we won't speculate on that. I suppose. Yes. Oh, how fun would that be? <laughs> to speculate on it. Yeah, I do. I do want to read about that. That's interesting because I need to catch up on the elements of manslaughter. Because I'm curious, maybe he could have been held liable for that. But this this father no showed no sign of other mental issues. He no violence. I, I still. I mean, I, I think he should have gone to jail for something. 
Do you have any skeletons in your closet, Chris, that we should be aware of? Not like that, no. <laughs> Are you harboring any um, stress that you're not letting people on about? No, but I mean, uh, maybe I wouldn't broadcast it on podcasts either. <laughs> <laughs> you, let's talk about it, Chris. <laughs> you might be helping out someone else. Every time we finish an episode, I do think about what disclosure I may have made about God knows what. They could come back and haunt me you know, later. All right. Well, so that concludes our episode. This was a fun episode. I thought so. That's definitely uh, one of my uh, favorite movies. Uh, but anyway, if you haven't seen Hereditary, it's on Amazon Prime and Redbox, <laughs> uh, presumably. And uh, make sure you call, uh, I guess, whoever does the Academy Awards and uh, demand justice or yeah, just don't watch it. Let's get that petition going. Maybe Tony Collette can host the awards. They don't have a host yet, do they? Oh, that seems a little demeaning. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah that's, that's a bad idea. <laughs> well, we'll just get it for her. But, right. And don't forget to follow our friend Gabby Watts, who does our um, theme song on Instagram, at Gabby Rotz, G-A-B-B-I-E-R-O-T-T-S. And then, again, you know, we want to hear from you. And if you haven't yet, uh, uh, subscribe to our podcast and then rate and review us. Yeah. Uh, even if they're bad reviews. But hopefully you wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, why would you do that, honestly? If you really have something bad to say, you can email us. Yes, yeah, yeah. Do that. Do it that way. And then we'll still read it. How about that? Just don't leave a permanent record on this. If you send us a really creative, bad email that's not too hurtful, we'll read it on air. Yeah. <laughs> I think our email is sometimes deadpodcast at gmail.com. Isn't there like a seven in there, an exclamation point? No. No, that's the password. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Delete that, yeah. Well, they'll never know the rest of the... Uh, That's true. Yeah, yeah sometimesdead at gmail.com. Yeah. No, sometimesdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. That's a long one. That's I why know. people aren't <laughs> emailing us. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for listening. All right, and follow us on all our social media fun stuff. Good night. And bye. I'm going to get a beer while you do this.